Christmas before the word, uh, Friday night, we had our Valentine's banquet, and it was all that. And so um, we had a game, the, 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 was it the newlywed game kind of thing? Not so newlywed game. And I uh, had a good time with that, and thankful to Sean and Lana again for opening up their home uh, that we could just have a good time together as God's people. And uh, he, he worked us on the dance floor. My, my muscles are sore. <laughs> Sean had us, you know, doing all that stuff. And so my wife and I have made a commitment. We're going to keep practicing the things we learned so that next time we come, I'm not counting in my head. One, two, you know, I'm not, so we're, we're going to keep on going. But I want to thank Felicia and the committee for working so hard uh, so that we could have a good time. Thank you so much. Uh, on Friday, I got a call that uh, Joyce Davis's mother had gone to heaven to be with Jesus. And so um, we're praying for the Davis family, for she and Chauncey and Kim and Chauncey Jr. And I believe sometime this coming week, the uh, homegoing celebration will occur. So keep them in your prayers. All right, Rick, I'm switching over. Keep them in your prayers. Thank you, Tammy. Let's give it up for Tammy Lennox, everybody. Yes. With the silver shoes, my word. And so we want to pray for them. And then uh, I couldn't help as we were worshiping God today and praising him for how he blesses to see our sister Kawanda Braxton in the house today. Amen. Um, last week during worship, she didn't look like herself and she looked disoriented. And so uh, Chauncey, um, with advice from Karen, took her to St. Thomas um, because many of her medical records are there. And we were praying that it wasn't a stroke that she had. And it, it came to find out that it was a migraine headache that was affecting her physiologically that way. And so after a couple of days in the hospital, she came home. And, um, and I'm just so glad to see you, girl. Love you so much. Amen. And for all of you who reached out, uh, I love Karen. Karen is a, a nurse. She don't play. And she's like, all right, now, uh, we know y'all care, but mama can't take all these phone calls and visits right now. She's got to get her strength back up. And so when I came in today and I, I came in and I saw you, I wasn't expecting to see you here today. And here you are in the house of the Lord. What a healer our God is. Amen. Amen. And uh, this Wednesday night is our impact time uh, where we get together for food from 6 to 6.45, where you bring all kinds of food, and we just sit down and eat and fellowship and enjoy the favor of the Lord and one another. That's at 6 o'clock. There's still room for you to come. Come on out. And we break up into small groups. Oh, man, look at you here today after your knee surgery, baby. What's up, Scott? What's up, man? Look at you. Got you a walker out there and everything, brother. <laughs> You made him bring that. You, you, you know the security guys are going to get him. You, you do know that, right? Oh, man, it's good to see you, man. I heard you had a rough day the other day. So I'm glad. Huh? Oh, it's his pimp stick. Thank you, Michael. <clears throat> All right. So he be walking in. And, and listen. And Micah's shirt says, yes, I am that dude. So, yes. 
So he praised God, praised God for healing his people. And, uh, and so this Wednesday when we get together, we'll have what we call the pastor's Bible study. We alternate from small groups to pastor's Bible study so that we can make sure as a church we are studying the word of God together. And so this Wednesday, 6 o'clock, come on out, bring some food. If you don't have any food, just come on, bring an appetite. We had a man uh, in the community who lives near Lipscomb who had come by, saw the lights on, and came into the church Wednesday night. And he joined us, and he joined one of our huddle groups. And so we're not going to be ruled by fear. We're going to love people, you know. We're not going to be ruled by fear. We're going to love people the way Jesus has commanded us. And so, man, good things are happening. <clears throat> and then finally today, before the word, uh, at the end of this message today, we're going to pray, and then we're going to dismiss you to go get your children and to come back in uh, for a brief business meeting uh, with the elders and myself. And so for our members especially, we would like for you to get your children, come back in, and for us to share with you some of the insights that the Lord gave us during our retreat uh, about three weeks ago. We want to share with you, uh, there's going to be a pastor's report. We're going to talk about where we are with the facilities. Uh, Elder Gary Bell is going to talk about our finances. And uh, we're also going to hear about our student ministry from Brother Bob as far as where we're going. So those four things we're going to touch on. Elder Aubrey won't be able to join us today. Uh, he has a son who's not feeling well this morning, so he stayed home with him. <clears throat> but at the end of service, uh, again, we want to stress brief. We know you want to go eat lunch and all of that. And so uh, my goal, it's 11.05 is to be finished preaching by 11.35. So let me pray, and let's get going. All right, Loretta, you, you, you going to make sure I finish on time? All right, she said, I will, Pastor, I will. What if it get real good, though? You going to let me keep going? Okay, okay, you let me. Okay. All right, because as, as a church, the elders like to put it this way, we are an organism and an organization. We're a living thing, but we also have structure. We're a family, but there are also business things that we have to be about, that you hold us accountable to, as God also holds us accountable. So uh, bear with us. Again, we're going to make this brief. So let me pray for us as we get into the word today. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for this family that we get the privilege of being a part of. Thank you, Lord, for so many people in this body that I get to do life with. And uh, Lord, I'm blessed and I'm thankful. Thank you for the skilled musicians that you have in this church and their heart to worship you with their gifts <clears throat> and with their talents. Thank you, Lord, for our ushers and our greeters who want to bless people as they come into the house of the Lord. Thank you for those who are teaching our children right now and our students and teenagers. Thank you for people who are using the gifts that you've given them to bless other people. So, Lord, I pray that as we come under the word right now, that you'll minister to our hearts as you always do. Thank you that your word can stand uh, fallen preachers like myself trying to interpret it and expound upon it. It's your word that doesn't change. It's your word that is yea and amen. It is settled in heaven. It is without error in its original autographs. It is inspired by you, and it's incredible. Help me, Lord, to do it justice today. Help me just to say what you said, if nothing else. And the bottom line, may I decrease so that Jesus might increase. For I pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 
17. If you don't have your scriptures, you can go to that on your mobile device. I'm using the New King James Version, or you can follow along with us on the screens. <clears throat> and the Bible reads, Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So as we're looking at some of the unsung Bible stories in the scriptures today, we're going to focus on this passage that speaks on the rich young ruler. We see that a man approached Jesus one day. And that's always a good thing to approach the Lord. And anytime someone approaches the Lord, that's because God worked on that person's heart to want to approach him. Because the Bible says all of us have turned away from God in Isaiah 53. We were born with this sin situation that separates us from life in God. As a matter of fact, Paul said we were born spiritually dead because of sin. So anytime anyone is seeking God or pursuing God, it's only because God gave that person the grace, the ability, and the desire to seek him out. So we see a young man, he approached Jesus one day, and this story is found in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And each one of those stories, uh, they give us various nuances about this particular person that uh, one does not exhaust by himself in their portrayal of him and this narrative. So according to Matthew chapter 19, verse 20, we see that this man was young. He was young. According to Luke 18, 18, he was a ruler. So he's called a ruler. And so he may have possibly ruled or led a synagogue. We don't know exactly what he ruled, but he did have authority possibly ruling a synagogue as a young man. And according to Mark, where we are today, Mark 10, 22 lets us know that this man was wealthy. And also, based on Mark chapter 10, verse 20, it lets us know that he was very religious, claiming to have kept the law since his youth. Wow, we're going to get into that in a moment. But finally, based on Mark chapter 10, verse 22, he walked away from the Lord sorrowfully. So if we just did a thumbnail composite of this man, 
<clears throat> excuse me, we see that he was young, he was a ruler, he was wealthy, he was very religious, and he walked away from Jesus with sorrow. Now, it wouldn't be his youthfulness that kept him from becoming a disciple of Jesus. Because when he walked away from Jesus, it was basically him saying, I do not submit to Rabbi Jesus. To be one of his disciples, he walked away from him. And I'm here to suggest to you today that it wasn't because he was young that caused him to walk away from Jesus because many young people are coming to Jesus. And it wasn't his position of having power and authority and responsibility that caused him to walk away from becoming a disciple in Christ when once again we know that people with authority are following Jesus every day and submitting ultimately to his sovereign authority. And it wasn't because he had a lot of money that caused him to not follow Jesus when we know from the pages of scripture and even in our own relationships that there are many wealthy people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So it wasn't his wealth that caused him not to follow. It wasn't his youth that caused him not to follow. And it wasn't his position that caused him not to follow. And it wasn't even his religiosity that caused him not to follow the Lord. Because many religious people are able to come to a saving faith in the Lord. The apostle Paul was a religious dude. But when he met Jesus, he considered all of his religion as dung compared to the excellency of knowing Christ. Your pastor was a religious dude. I went to church faithfully, but I did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, going to church, thinking that makes you a Christian, is just as odd a thinking as thinking because I go to McDonald's that that makes me a Big Mac sandwich. No, going to McDonald's doesn't make me a Big Mac, and going to church doesn't make me a Christian. I was religious but I was not right with God because I did not have the imputed righteousness of Jesus in my account by faith. I was going through the motions. And so this young man, he didn't stop following Jesus because of his youthfulness or because of his wealth or because of being religious or because of his position. But Jesus did say, there is one thing that you lack. There is one thing that is keeping you from having a relationship with me. So let's dive into the text today and let's ask God to show us what that one thing was with this young man. And even to ask God, is that one thing something that hinders me in my relationship with you? So the first point of two that I want you to see today is the goodness of God. Look at verse 17. It says, now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Verse 18, so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Ah, we've got some theological conundrums all up in here that we need to clarify in our short time together. But before we even get into those issues, let's look first at how this young man came running to Jesus. Oh, man, he came running. This means he was eager. He was very, very eager. He's running to Jesus. 
But not only does he run to Jesus, the Bible says he knelt down before Jesus. Now, some of us may see this as a good thing. And that may be how when you read this story, you see it. But when I see this thing and when I look at the context, I don't see this as a good thing. I see this based on how I've looked at this young man in the scripture. I see him falling down in front of Jesus as a dramatic thing. I see this as a flashy presentation. I believe he was being ostentatious, or in other words, he was being pretentious. He was just trying to show off, and he was trying to give an appearance of piety, when in reality, he was not a humble man. He knew the cameras were on, and he knew that people were watching, and he wanted to appear a particular way in front of the Lord. So he came running, and he knelt down in front of everybody, and then he addressed Jesus as good teacher, good teacher. And so when I see that, because based on how Jesus is about to tighten him up, <laughs> he's attempting to be charming. He's attempting to be slick, smooth, and polished. He's very flamboyant. Now, here's the thing about Jesus. We can fool some of the people some of the time, but we can't fool Jesus any of the time. John chapter 2, I believe is verses 25 and 26, talk about Jesus knew what was in man. And he didn't need anybody to testify to him about what was in a man because as God, being omniscient, he knows everything. And Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says that God will not be mocked. And so this man is coming up to Christ and Christ knows where this young man's heart is. And so what he should have done is he should have just came as he was without being pretentious, without trying to put on airs, without trying to have a show. He should have just come humbly before the Lord and Jesus saw right through it. And he addresses Jesus as good teacher. Strong Tower, listen to me. He is the only person in scripture to address Jesus with this title, good teacher. Usually people address Jesus as teacher, which was common to address rabbis in that day as teacher. And so we know that Jesus was the teacher with the capital T. But this young man came and he said, good teacher. Now, he did not think through the implications of ascribing to Jesus the title of good. He didn't think through the implications of what that meant. Because Psalm 100 verse 5 says, for the Lord is good. 1 Chronicles 16.34 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Psalm 107 verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And so the Bible gets on this theme over and over again. Psalm 118.1, Psalm 118.29 says the same thing. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Good. So God is good. And man is not. Stay with me. 
Because after the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, when man sinned, man then became inherently wicked because of sin's presence in us. And so anything good about us is only good because we reflect the goodness of God having been made in his image and attempting to do works that he would deem as good. But let's not get it twisted. Goodness does not inherently begin with man. Goodness begins with God. It's one of his communicable attributes that we can get from him. But it does not begin intrinsically with us. Job said that a man born of woman is uh, full of evil and of a few days. And so, so there's nothing good in us. Um, now, we do want to have a high view of man because man was made in the image of God and he made us a little lower than the angels. But Paul would say in Romans chapter 12, but think of yourself with sober judgment because if we're not careful, we will exalt man and we will lower God. And so as this young man is coming to Christ, Jesus is like, do you know what you're saying to me when you call me good teacher? Because I am good because I am God. But Romans 3.10 says that as far as man is concerned, there is none righteous, no, not one. So when you call me good, do you know what you're saying? Because by this query, Jesus posed to the young man. He did not deny his own deity. On the contrary, he confirmed it. In other words, if you're going to call me good, be prepared to call me God. Come up to you, good teacher. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Are you putting me in the category with God? So if you're going to call me good, be prepared to call me God. And if you're not going to call me God, don't call me good. So was the young man willing to confess Jesus as God, which is one of the uh, primary tenets of the Christian faith, the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is the son of God and he is God the son. He is not just a prophet. He is the son of God. And God has a son, and his name is Jesus, and he is equal with the Father. That's what Jesus says. My Father is working, and so am I. He spoke of very intimate terms with God the Father, which the, which the Jews saw as blasphemous. But Jesus was like, I'm in the bosom of my daddy. I, you know, I didn't begin in Bethlehem. I've always existed. As long as my father was the father, I've been the son. I am the eternal son of God in human flesh. So when you walk up on me and you toss this title out, you better make sure you know what you're saying when you use those words. Do you see me as God? And there are many people who are going to bust hell wide open because they do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The spirit of Antichrist is in the world, and the spirit of Antichrist says that Jesus is not God. But no, 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 no. Jesus is God in the flesh. So was this young man going to confess him as God? Strong tower, apparently not. Because we look at verse 20. The second time he addresses Jesus, and he answered and said to him, teacher. He dropped that good, which means he didn't believe that he was God. 
I can't ascribe that to you. I heard all this stuff about you. You the rabbi, you the man, you, you, you the latest flavor that's out right now. I can't try to impress you. Then you broke me off to check my motives. And so he said, no, no, I can't call you good because I ain't really here to call you God. But one proof that the goodness of the Lord was operating in this moment is that Jesus looked at him in verse 21 and loved him. This man is being foolish. And as Jesus looks at him, he looks at us in our folly. He looks at us and he loves us because we don't know what we're talking about most of the time our mouths are running. We think we know the deep things of God. We think we know, and the Lord looks at us and he just loves us. He's still good to this young man, even though this young man doesn't understand the nature of Christ. But this young man was a foolish man. Yes, he was wealthy, and yes, he was a ruler, but he was foolish. That's my second point, the foolishness of man. Why was he foolish, pastor? Well, number one, he focused on what he had already done and on what he had to do to inherit eternal life. He told Jesus, I've kept the law. All them commandments you named, oh, I've kept all of them. Not only that, I kept them from my youth. That right after my bar mitzvah at age 12, I started keeping the law perfectly. I kept all of those. Don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't bear false witness, don't covet. Oh, I honor your father and your mother. Oh, yeah, I kept all of them from my youth. This brother is deranged. <laughs> but there are people out here who think that they keep the law perfectly, and most of them are Christians. <laughs> oh, I can't chase because my, my time, I can't chase it. I got to keep rolling. But let me say, we cannot inherit the kingdom of God on the premise of doing. He said, what must I do to inherit this? Again, contradictory. Usually when you inherit something, you receive it. But he's like, what do I have to do to receive this gift from God? Bro, bro, no, 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 no. There's nothing you can do except receive it. Or in other words, believe in God. So works will not get us into the kingdom. What gets us into the kingdom, inheriting the blessing of God, is believing, not doing. But in his mind, and in many people's mind who are religious, they've got to do something. Salvation is a work of God and not a work of man. Which is why Jesus said in verse 27, because they're like, man, who can be saved? If this guy walks away, because in that culture, if you were wealthy, that meant to them God's blessing was on you. Not if you were poor. You know, if you were poor, man, what happened to you, you know? But if you were wealthy and this guy walks away, they're like, man, who can be saved then? And that's why Jesus says, with men it is impossible. Salvation is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Saving sinners who are lost whether they are wealthy or poor, that's God's ability. That's God's power. Salvation is the work of God, not the work of man. Because when we get to heaven, no one's going to boast that they got themselves there by what they did. When we get to heaven, we're going to worship God for all that he did to get us there. And so this is, again, a foundational principle of Christianity. Another thing about this young fellow is that he told Jesus that he kept the law from his youth. He's foolish. 
It was when I was young that I started understanding how to break and fracture some commandments. Uh, I'm not going to go down that road. Huh? Right when I turned 13, man, how old are you, Michael? Okay, I'm praying for you, son. And so, man, I kept them. I guess he didn't know Ecclesiastes 7.20. There's not a man on the face of the earth who does good and sins not. We all sin. What, what, what does he say? I kept the law. Well, first thing we need to, know, need to know, Paul said the law is good. The Ten Commandments, they are good. And the other 600 laws found in the Old Covenant, they are all good because they come from God. Now, the law produces in us, according to Paul, the knowledge of sin. When my conscience doesn't convict me that what I'm doing is wrong, because again, I'm made in the image of a moral, upright, holy God. When my conscience becomes seared, where I don't blush anymore over wrongdoing, where I don't feel bad, the word of God comes and tells me that what I'm doing or even thinking or conceiving is wrong. So through the law comes the knowledge of sin so that sin might be, as Paul said, exceedingly sinful. And so the law is like a mirror. It shows you how jacked up you are. So when you look in the Bible and you see, man, not to commit adultery, Jesus comes along, he starts preaching, and he's like, I know y'all are living by the letter of the law on this. And you're saying, I didn't sleep with Sister Sally over across the street or Mrs. Jones, as that brother said, me and Mrs. Jones. Okay, you didn't do that. But have you thought about sleeping with Mrs. Jones? Have you lusted after Mr. Jones? Because if you've done this in your heart, you've committed adultery. Okay, you didn't kill that person, but have you hated them in your heart? It's just the same as murder because the act of murder begins with the seed in the heart of man. So Jesus is like, stop looking at the letter and let's dig deeper to the spirit. We're all lawbreakers. And so the problem with the law is that after it shows you your junk, it can't fix what it shows you. But the good news Oh, the gospel is that Jesus is the end of the law. The law was put in place to lead me to Jesus, the one who kept the law for me and the one who gave his righteousness to me so that when God looks at me, I look just like his son. That's grace. That's the gospel. And that's why we should worship God and that's why we should live for God. No, I can't work to get to heaven, but because heaven came down so I could go up, I ought to work like I'm going to heaven. I ought to work because I'm going to heaven. But some of us, man, we treat grace like grease, and we get this little fire insurance. We pray this little prayer, but ain't nothing happening in our lives because the evidence that you have faith, we're going to look at your works. But it's not the works that saves you. It's the works that show that you are saved. First things first, we come to God by faith. He changes us. Now I want to do right. I'm not keeping the law to earn favor. I'm trying to live by the law of love. Love God, love my neighbor through the strength of the spirit of God. That's the Christian life. But Andre Crouch said many years ago, religion is man's search for God. At the root of every religion, whether it's Judaism, Islam, Baha'i, 
whatever it is, and even some churches, many churches, the burden is to perform good works in order to earn salvation. But with Christianity, the burden of salvation is on God. Listen to this. The lawmaker became the law keeper. Jesus made the law, but then he was born and he kept the law perfectly. He couldn't die on the cross if he broke the law because he would be a sinner just like us. But he was a lamb without spot or blemish. He didn't break the law in action or in thought. Why? Because he's God. He's holy in human flesh. Oh, it's a mystery, but it's true. So the lawmaker became the law keeper, but then he took our place and penalty as though he were the lawbreaker. He died for lawbreakers. He died in our place. That's the good news, and that's what we should be telling people. Not how high their dress should be or, or where their hair should be or what music they can't listen to or what church they got to go to or what kind of baptism they got to have. No, we should be telling people about the love of God. He loves me in spite of myself. When I was still a sinner, Jesus died. That's the good news. He got it from the dead. Death couldn't hold him. I'm saved because of Jesus. And I'm being transformed every day. I haven't arrived. But let me tell you, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was a beggar that found some bread. I was thirsty and I found the living water. Let me tell you, come get some, come get some. If he can save me, he can save you. Oh, my God. That's the gospel. I'm not better than you. I'm not better than you. It's only grace. So what was the one thing this young man lacked? What was it? After he tells Jesus, I've done this, done that, done okay. Jesus said, but you lack one thing. What was that one thing he lacked? He lacked faith in God. That's it, Pastor, that's it. How are people made right with God? Through belief. Putting faith in him. And that young man had a checklist of what he had done. But he never talked about how he had believed in God. So when Jesus says, go sell everything, give it to the poor, come back, take up your cross and follow me, he knew that the young man couldn't handle that. And he knew that the young man was a lawbreaker. Pastor, how you know? Because Jesus brought up all of the commandments in the second half of the Decalogue that dealt with loving your neighbor. He didn't even touch the first four that dealt with loving God. Because dig this, the proof that you don't love God or have faith in God is gonna show up in how you treat or mistreat people. So let me lay this out to you. Okay, you say you kept the law, all right. Well, well go and love your neighbor, Leviticus 19:18, sacrificially then, as proof that you got faith in God, young man, since you say you done kept the law. But he couldn't do that because he couldn't love people sacrificially because he had no true relationship with God. Jesus wasn't saying you got to do this stuff to be saved. You got to give your money up to be saved. He wasn't saying that. But because he knew this young man's heart, he knew that he had to get him with a physical illustration to show him his ineptness and his brokenness and his need for grace by saying, man, go serve the poor and then come follow me. He couldn't do it. Because he had put those things ahead of God. And the Bible says the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. What he should have done was repent right there. 
Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. But instead, he walked away sorrowful because he had so many great possessions and he was again in a quandary. I want to know God, but I don't want to know God on his terms. That's one of the problems that rich people have. They're so used to everybody catering to them. So used to getting the hookup and special privileges and treatment. But when he rolled up on Jesus, Jesus was a preacher who was not impressed with how much money that young man had in his pocket. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth, even if you don't want to hear it, because the truth will set you free if you let it. He told this young man, you lack one thing. You lack having faith. And for the Pharisees and all those guys, that's too simple. I got to keep the law. I got to do this. I can't do this on the Sabbath. It was just too easy. Well, Jesus is like, I'm going to do the work. You lack one thing. And he went away sorrowful. Strong Tower, of all the people who came to the feet of Jesus, this man is the only one who went away worse than how he came. He's the only one. So may we not get it twisted. Rich people can be foolish and poor people can be wise. Anyone who walks away from Jesus is foolish. Well, you don't have to go away sorrowful today. You can go away joyful. You can go away blessed. You can go away loved. You can go away forgiven. However, when we come to God with our own agenda as opposed to submitting to his, we will end up sorrowful. See, here's another proof that keeping the law wasn't sufficient. Because if you kept the law, why are you still asking questions about going to heaven? The reason why you're asking questions about going to heaven is because the performance has not satisfied your soul. Because you still don't believe you've done enough to go to heaven. And that's the lie of works. You do this, and you still feel like you got to do that. You do this, and you still got to do that. And so let me get it outside of religion, and let's come down with Christianity. Well, if I read my Bible today, God will love me. If I get baptized in Jesus' name or in the name of the Father, he'll love me today. But, but you still are empty, and you still try to do works, and you still try to perform for God rather than resting in his grace and believing that his son is, was, and did enough for you. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. So Jesus turns around and he says to the disciples, it's hard for rich people to enter into the kingdom because it's hard to serve God in money. You can't do both. It's hard when you got a little bit of education. And that's why the Bible says in Matthew that the hookers and the drunkards are getting into the kingdom ahead of the religious people. Because the religious people, oh, you got to do too much. You try, and you're putting the attention on yourself rather than believing that God did it for you and the attention goes on him. So today, I repent of my self-righteousness and my thinking I got to do stuff. No, man, Jesus paid it all. Receive what he's done and walk in the gospel. Walk in the grace of God. Hmm, that's a good word. Let's pray. God, thank you. If there's someone here today, Lord, that doesn't know you, They don't have to go away sorrowful. 
They don't have to go away trying to earn their way into heaven by good works. They can go away today at peace because they said, I'm going to trust Jesus, the Son of God who took my place, the perfect one who died for my imperfections. I'm going to trust him for my salvation. Well, before we close this service today, is there anyone here who would say, Pastor, would you pray with me? I want to put my faith in Jesus. I'm tired of being religious. I'm tired of trusting in my accomplishments. Bottom line, Pastor Chris, I'm tired of being empty. And I want Jesus in my life. Is there anyone here with everyone praying? We're praying right now. We're praying. Is anyone here who wants to cross over from death to life, from darkness into the marvelous light? You say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to know Jesus today, right now, right here. Would you raise your hand so I can pray with you? Is there someone? Amen. I see that hand. Is there anyone else? want to know him. Amen. I see the children raising their hands. Will you pray this prayer? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for making a way to make me right with you. I choose to repent and come to you right now. Save me, Jesus. I believe in you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Live in my life. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, put your hands together. And let's give God's good old praise. All right. My good friend, Paul Revere. Would you come close us out in prayer? And don't forget, run and get your kids. Bring them back in for our family business meeting. Again, the elders are going to be brief.